Can I get a hallelujah? listening to Honored with William McCarthy live from New York City. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Okay, Winter. Okay, Winter. We took a swing. And off you go. It's looking pretty springtime-like around here, I'm not going to lie. Um, okay, there's a disclaimer with this podcast. This is kind of a ramble. This is not like a proper, proper podcast. <laughs> I just go. And off I go uh, now. So, hey, uh, thank you for everybody for the feedback. I just announced my Irish tour, uh, my tour of Ireland and film premiere in the Republic of Ireland. Um in Galway. This is all taking place in the beginning of May. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. So thank you for everybody for, it was amazing. I I put it up online. I got like a lot of really nice feedback from people. It's been too long, Ireland. And it's, this is what happens when you make a record. You got to kind of go hide out and get your, uh, get your tunes tuned up and get your, get your stuff together and then you go back out there. So I'm on my way out. Thank you very much. Now, you might have noticed if you rock and roll fans are asking, who is this Michael Peterson? I'll tell you. Michael is an acclaimed poet. He is from Scotland. I had the fortune of performing with him last year in Edinburgh. The evening was an amazing event. It was Michael standing up there telling his poetry, deep laughs, hilarity and then I went on after and we just thought this feels really good uh Michael's written a book and the guy has me in stitches constantly not only that he's he's got like he's like defibrillating the English language for me uh we've been in communication a lot he's turned into a friend of mine I'm, I'm really thrilled about this and we will announce a special guest as we go now I probably incorrectly said this is our uh, first Irish premiere, but the Republic of Ireland, yes, we did premiere the film in Belfast. So this is coming, we're bringing it home to Galway, which if anybody's ever been there is about as charming as a place as you're going to find on this green earth. What makes this experience of this, uh, the Ireland tour announcement so, so meaningful to me is that I am getting into a DIY state of mind. I took, I took basically a camera and I made my own little short, right? Uh, it looked, it looks like a minute and 20 seconds, but it was, it was a couple days for me, like just sort of investigating and learning about filmmaking, about video making. Um, and I'm really looking forward to doing more of this. I've been around, I've been around video and film stuff a lot from the documentary and also just doing being in a rock and roll band is something that you do. I've, I've long been an observer of it and I'm so excited for 2020 for me is a year of transformation and 
I'm getting my hands on gear that I don't know how to use and I'm failing constantly. But if anybody else is uh, sort of feeling stagnant or that they want to break out, this year has been going amazing for me, actually. Oddly enough, outside of tutorials and uh, instruction manuals and completely making a train wreck out of everything that I touch, I have had some success actually with my health, man. I'm almost, I have almost lost 45 pounds. This is crazy. Um, <laughs> I guess when, when you want something bad enough, you'll manifest it. I can't think of how many, <laughs> being, being a touring artist is, is it's something. Um, people ask me about, you know, what's it like? And it's like, well, your body doesn't really know when noon is. It doesn't know when midnight is. If you're jet lagged half the month, um, sure. That sounds like a really great idea. I'm going to have that. I'm going to have that quesadilla at two in the morning. It doesn't work on the long term. So I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've squared up to it and I'm, I'm slaying a dragon y'all. Uh, yeah. Down goes Frazier. So I think a lot of people that tune into the podcast are creative and I will say as a creative, uh, one thing that's really speaking to me right now in the spirit of like this video making expedition, of uh, getting into my own like production work, really gratifying stuff. The more like rocks I unturn, the more I'm like switched on and want to do more. And I started kind of chuckling to myself because I came up, uh, on, in the, the punk rock uh, DIY California like skate skater shit back in the day. And it was very much, you know, people starting their own labels, obviously people starting their own bands, people starting their own collectives. And I kind of feel like I've returned back to this DIY place. And I, I love it. Uh, a friend of mine was teasing me because I keep using the word, but it's like how I feel. He was saying, do people use that word anymore? And I was like, I hope so. Do it yourself, man. Um, yeah. In a, in a digital world, uh, like trying to keep something earthy and stuff and just getting your hands dirty. Very, very healthy stuff. I think part of why this is gratifying to me is that when you, when you get in a tour bus and you make it you make it to that place and you're starting to do theaters and you're flying to different countries and you're doing festivals, you see kind of behind the curtain and it's, it's a, it's a, a beautiful and also kind of jarring experience. Like, um, a couple of days ago I was looking on Instagram and I saw a picture of, of all people Bon Jovi was doing some kind of like Rolling Stone magazine session at Abbey Road. But what was cool about it was that I recognized it, not like the Beatles on the Cross Rock Abbey Road, but like actually the live room, like where, where you know, orchestras, um, they, now they do a lot of like sound design and like film stuff. But for some reason, old John Bond was in Abbey Road. But I, I, I recognized the room because we, I, I got to record there before. And when you start to see these, like these, these places, these like seminal or like noteworthy places in the music world, um, Ed Sullivan theater, um, Brixton Academy, like these, these amazing Webster hall, these places, they're, they're amazing. And they like kind of live in your mind in this mythical status as you're coming up. But when you, you go to them, you're like, wow, wow. Uh, it's a pretty musky bathroom. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, hey, hey, band. Uh, yeah, the uh, dryer works, but no washer at this show. Um, so we're all washing it in the sink. <laughs> so like there's this, do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of like you approach these massive things that are sort of cerebral mental a mental data bank for you and then you see the reality and a lot of the music world that I've found um, there's a romance to it but there's also a lot of dicks drawn on the wall for some reason whenever you play a club there's a dick drawn backstage on the wall no one told me that <laughs> when I was 12 years old doing scales like and in, in singing really bad cover songs or whatever I didn't realize that I was gonna see an amazing um, amazing depictions of penises globally like in every country for some reason i think it's like a running joke with musicians to put to draw penises on sh i don't know what that is and i remember at the end of augustine's three years ago um god is it almost three and a half years ago being backstage and looking at all this like chicken scratch and and graffiti and and pens all over the everything and and this kind of like this this strange like rock and roll archetype and i don't know who kicked this off um there's this like jack daniels cigarette ashtray scrawled on the wall like kind of humorous like little slogans here and there and you're just like shit man this could be beautiful like this could this could feel like home but i guess it's the kind of party the party side of rock and roll which was always kind of an interesting environment so all this kind of like shaggy shabby half-baked scruffy people showing up late um the the light doesn't work back there the, the you know all that stuff it just i'm just like i care more than this like i care a lot more than this this isn't a reflection of how much i love doing this and i wish i want my environments to be have like substance and feel organic and caring right so this diy stage for me in my career is really nice because i get to breathe that that care into every single thing that i do i don't have to hire um jake from you know baltimore or austin or london jake doesn't have to come in and inform my video ever again of uh, what he thinks would work for us i get to do that i get to go to sleep thinking about what turns me on um, what inspires me and where i find power so i thought i would talk about that in the podcast today power strange word not as in the absolute power corrupts absolutely like not that kind of power but like what do we what recharges us what what when we hold it and like when we take it in like what it, it helps it like assists us getting through our crappy late winter new york weather and power is a funny thing where does it live uh, we find it in art um, we find it in film, we find it visually, we find it in cathedrals, in history. We find it sitting next to us on subways. We, f I find power when I look at the hands of laborers or a small business owner slinging slices of pizza in a third generation pizza shop. I find 
power in meeting other people that are inspiring to me. Being solid, being, being good, trying for that. I, I find power in, in jumping into songs that I don't know very well and not rehearsing them very much and getting up and making them work real time. I find power in, uh, in tumbling towards my fears instead of away from them. I like telling stories on, um, on stage because I don't know what the hell I'm going to say. And it's a funny thing. A lot of, I guess, civilians don't know this, but you know, when you're on, when you're on tour with people, uh, people will get on stage with you and, and sing a couple songs or you'll jump on stage and sing a couple songs with them. Little known fact, it's about being fluent. I think if you do something a lot and constantly, it becomes very natural and you just have this confidence. So I've, I've jumped on stage with people without even really knowing the lyrics and vice versa. You just kind of stand on the side of the stage and go, okay, okay, hmm, some kind of a country-ish beat. Uh, I guess I can do some oohs and ahs and background vocal. <laughs> but you just, um, you just get this, this, this confidence to just jump, and I find power in that. I think that's that's really inspiring to me. Um, what am I listening to at the moment? So in the last podcast, I probably talked about it. I really like music from around the world. It's funny when people say, "Oh, I have a friend of mine. You should you should talk to him. Uh, he loves world music too." And I'm like, "Really? Are you? Is that really where where you categorize me? Am I like the weird guy that works at the you know the Burns Nug Champa and works at the cafe? That's like the you know, <laughs> uh, we just got a, uh, an import uh, Peruvian import." Um, it's on a seven inch actually. Uh, it's a, it's like, no, I mean a little bit, I guess I am a little bit. It's some, I, I, I see, I, I see music sort of in the greater context. And it's, I think that where that came from is a lot of people like on my Patreon and just friends of mine, I'm always making playlists and the playlists, uh, usually music from, from other cultures. Right. And Probably how this started is as a songwriter, things have changed a bit. But when I was starting out, I was um, so, I would say, obsessed or committed to not being influenced. Because it's very difficult when you're a, when you're a young youngster, a creative in any way, is to kind of develop your own voice. One of the ways, one of the central ways that I developed my own voice was by not listening to others other people's lyrics and and really kind of tempering how much I would let myself go into people's you know their their the body of work they've done or their catalog like Towns Vanzant or something you know I would I would do it sparingly uh, but what I found is if I listened to music from another culture and it was in a different language I couldn't cop any of their their lyrical chops because I couldn't understand what the hell they were saying <laughs> So I make these playlists, right, for my uh, for my my patrons and my onward community, and after doing several of them, I do one a week, and I think about it all week. I, I did a like a vintage hip hop last week. I've done like Bollywood playlists. I I've and 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 lately I've been really into calypso music, and I made a probably I think my greatest mix 
yet. And it, it's, I think it's called like Polynesian something or other. I forget the title of it. But it's this like pastiche of, of opera, Polynesian music, pedal steel, old like South American stuff. There's um, Spanish, Spanish stuff as well as um, oddly Tuvan music. And this is what I love. I mean, I, I would have never fared very well in an office job. Um, I, I would love if I had the, that skill set, but I, being indoors and, and, you know, this is what's nice about having this path. While sparse and can be scary and, you know, you've got to be thinking about survival at all times, you do get to investigate um, your things that move you, right? So I, I saw this... I put on my playlist this Tuvan singer. And Tuva is, I believe, in... We spoke about it in the podcast last week. It's basically a part of southern Siberia. And, like, really amazing, like, gorgeous people. Uh, kind of ancient-looking. So they're, they're basically Asian, like, Chinese-looking people that are Russian, right? Amazing. So in, in Tuvan in tuva and tuvan singing they sing with their lips doing a melody it's like something kind of like that but very guttural and they can sing two melodies at the same time which is literally like mind-blowing once upon a time i think in 1999 there was uh there was a film called Genghis blues and it was about a blind um san francisco musician that that had a shortwave radio after his wife passed away and he listens to the shortwave radio and he just listens to stuff from around the world and he hears this bizarre singing and he becomes enamored with it and he wants to travel abroad and go to Tuva so I went back and I found it online I found the movie Genghis Blues and the story is just incredible uh it took them, I think, four years to get visas and so on to go there. But this this musician goes there, and he's 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 towards the end of his life. He's in his sixties, I believe. And they they accept him, and they're in this like bizarre Soviet kind of social hall, and they're all performing. Um, these two Tuvan singers, and and this San Francisco guy gets up. He learned their language, to. Uh, to perform there and he's completely nervous and it just started hitting me in these really interesting ways like wow this guy's nervous but he's nervous because he's feeling everything he's not seeing it he can't see what's going on he's just backstage like vibing with himself and he can hear the discomfort and awkwardness in the room and he gets up there and he starts speaking the Tuvan language and people freaked out and then he starts singing like these classic songs and so they take him to this village and they're like slaughtering a, a goat and he's, he's just really doing his best to like assimilate and get on their level. And I, I really, I really dug that because it made me feel a lot like that's what it's like to travel and try. And I think we know when we travel and we don't try, there's the like hanging out at the pool kind of vacation there's the, uh, I'm going to meet up with a friend and go get drunk kind of vacation. Then there's the like, I'm actually going to try. And this guy really tried. And I, you know, I was in, 
Vietnam, God, probably about three months ago, I was on tour and I had a moment where I was listening to Asian music. I was sitting around, I believe just outdoors in Cambodia and Vietnam. People hang out obviously outdoors because it's hot. And I was with this, this interesting group. There was two girls. They were, they were a couple and there was their friend and we we're having this beautiful conversation. This guy had taught himself how to speak English from YouTube, which was extraordinary. And these two girls were talking about what it's like to be lesbians in Asia, which I was really happy to hear that, that, that things are actually pretty nice for them. Like, the, you know, they don't, they don't, they feel supported and it's not odd, which I really loved. So we're having this nice chat and I'm trying, you know, I'm like eating weird seafood stuff. That's kind of like different for me. And my ear is attaching itself to Vietnamese ballads, I guess you could say. And it sounds so strange to the Western ear, like the tonally, the scales are a bit different. The time signatures are different, but there's all this like pageantry and there's like this like swarthy crooning going on in Vietnamese. It's like, huh? No, it's like, it's like, like, like floating, uh, very, very different kind of, um, and big crescendos. I'm listening to this stuff and I'm thinking about the constructs of, of Western music in my own mind. I'm trying to force myself to understand this. It's extraordinarily polished. It's, it's really over the top. And I started digging it and I'm looking at these two girls and this dude and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm feeling, I'm connecting with, with Vietnamese tunes right now. So the Genghis blues mute, movie is it's very funny i thought it was like an art house like groundbreaking film when i saw it when i was young but it is it's it's a little bit jittery and i i think they did it on like digital camera 20 years ago so it's a little you know a little patchy here and there but the concept is gorgeous so going back to the playlist these little investigations are kind of they're like they're it's like kindling or uh, it's like throwing a little bit of brush on a fire creatively. Let's take a short break. And when we get back, I will answer some emails. You are listening to Onward with William McCarthy. Okay, this week I have an email from Lee. This is Lee in England. I got a question for your podcast. I recall you mentioned picking up your guitar after a break, but is there any other instrument you wish you could play? I've always wanted to play trombone. Don't know why, but I'm happy blowing my saxophone. All the best, Lee. You know, Lee, it's it's a great question, man. I guess we have, I guess sometimes as creatives, we have sort of uh, like creativity envy. I, I definitely look at the clarinet. I just love the sound of it. I When I listen to Benny Goodman, I just listen to all the zip, zap, and pizzazz. That instrument was squirrely and soulful and deep and a reed instrument. 
and they could boogie on that thing, man, back in the 40s in the big band era. I don't know really where clarinet's at today. I don't hear a ton of it, like in obviously in modern music. Uh, but clarinet is a thing, right? Wow. Also, klezmer music. If anybody's ever gotten into klezmer music, it's like the most expressive instrument. Absolutely love it. Love you, clarinet. Um, I, I am envious of all you clarinet uh, Jedi's. Okay, this in this is from Jason, Texas. Billy, any plans to come to Texas? You should tour U.S. more. Dude, <laughs> yeah, brother, absolutely, man. Yeah, um, I've actually gotten some some people reaching out from Texas, and I should be down there. I would say summer, um, early summer, midsummer, and that. Uh, yeah, the United States is amazing. So back to the camera stuff, um, thinking a lot about what to shoot. Now, in the in the the Ireland film, the music that you hear in this podcast, like I'm composing this music. So while it's just sort of passing fodder or content or subject matter, whatever you want to call it, like I'm doing the music as well. And a friend of mine, uh, a buddy of mine named Wilson, or my old tour, tour manager from Pela, he was just saying, Bill, you don't forget about America, man. Like, you know, and I'm like, I don't, I, I, I don't forget about America, but I think I hear what he's saying. He's like, you should, why don't you do some like American, like film stuff in America, do some American music. And I was thinking, man, there is some beautiful parts of this country. I've driven across this country so many times in so many vans, and I did it on a motorcycle um, not even a year ago. And there's just something about the the middle of the country, like up in like the Dakotas, wow, down in New Mexico, through Utah, Colorado, and there's just so much to see. And there's these little towns. I would, you know, there's, there's entire like Navajo communities, like schools, um, fire departments, incredible. And we don't even really think about that. There's Mennonites, there's Pennsylvania Dutch. There's so many aspects of this place. There's even Finnish communities. There's a Tibetan community in Queens. There's so many things that I would love to film. Well, when I was talking to Wilson, we started having this conversation. Wilson just came back from Las Vegas and he made me, he was making me laugh. He said, oh, he went to a club. And I was like, holy shit, when's the last time you went to a club, man? And he was saying he had a theory that people who wait outside of clubs to get in are the people that didn't get invited to parties in high school. <laughs> um... But during his club journey, um, you know, he, he was just letting off some steam. I think he's been working a lot. But we started having this conversation about music and, of course, started talking about rock and roll. But the question that I have and that we were both discussing is, did Laptop kill the radio star? Um, is rock and roll in decline? Some people say it is. Obviously, central music is probably pop, like in the Western world. Um, there's hip hop, 
We've got like Billie Eilish or AKA Billie Eyelashes. <laughs> There's so many called her that in New York the other day. I thought that was funny. Um, we've got like this kind of, you know, mainstream type of focus, youth focus, right? That's always going to be there in, in the West. But rock and roll, it's very expensive music to make. As much as we grew up on sub pop and indie and punk shit, like it's actually takes a lot of talent and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of like starting up with a bunch of guys with a dream and in an age with Instagram influencers and people having YouTube pages and stuff. I wonder if young people feel like there's merit to going out and suffering in vans together and eating Taco Bell and slogging it out in clubs with dicks drawn on the walls backstage. For me, like there was romance to that, but I wonder if romance is shifting. I think music is always shifting. I think you know, Wilson said in the conversation, he was like, you know, I don't, I'm like, is rock and roll like second to hip hop? Um, is it third in line? He's like, if that, I think that rock and roll is really kind of receding. And in the conversation, we were talking about those constructs of music and, and are they good? Are they bad? Like I eat the Vietnam example of sitting there and trying to break down the way my mind in my ear hears music but in modern music we have to look at the changing of the guard um it couldn't have been easy for frank sinatra to hand the baton off to one young elvis aaron presley who essentially started making music focusing on rhythm and blues and from the waist down bringing sexuality into music and the crooning um, would be a thing of the past kids wanted to dance teeny boppers wanted to swing they wanted to have a good time again and big band was kind of an elegant affair and obviously when the 50s shifted into the 60s people wanted to get deeper they wanted to expand we had the young Bob Dylan. We got into lyrics and the canon of American music and the lineage of storytelling and bards, troubadours. We saw the expansion of the rock and roll song as we knew it, as Led Zeppelin expanded it. We saw the deconstruction of that production style and that grandiose almost superhero archetype the rock god we saw that de the, the deconstructionist movement of the punks to rip that down and get as basic as possible maybe rock and roll is declining but the question is did it fulfill its mission did it say what it had to say i think no matter where you are if it's your local telephone company or politician or rock and roll, when, when an idiom or a genre or a style starts repeating itself, it loses its power, becomes redundant. So I understand if rock and roll has to sort of reconvene with itself and 
get clear with itself and find where its power is before it comes back into the fore, into the, the mainstream or the popular consciousness, modern music listenership. We're in an interesting place. The DIY feeling for me is is kind of timely and it's it's happening at a really great time because I'm seeing a lot of young people doing almost everything themselves on their phone or their iPad or their laptop. People are doing photography. They're doing their own graphic work. They're doing their own editing and they're talented. I think that's why, you know, when a young Nirvana came out, the, the older heads kind of looked down their nose at them because they were threatened. You know, White Lion and Motley Crue, they didn't understand this because it wasn't about excess and hedonism. It was about like, integrity and and trying to say something and i understand you know some of the older pop stars looking at these kids that are starting to like be good not 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 like in a michael jackson when he was nine type of good but like capable of every facet of doing modern music in this modern age so i i feel like you know god what's happening you know i hear people what's happening to music this damn blah, blah, blah. it's like hey bro get with it that was david bowie's thing it's like you get on the horse and you you go with it or you stay eric from augustine's and i used to we used to have a conversation and we'd we'd return to it a lot he said that his dad's theory was that people will keep the style that they had when they felt like they were the coolest for the rest of their life. <laughs> and that explains, you know, the old man with the uh, pompadour or the weird lady that works at the gas station with the mullet or whatever. Like, she might look like a, a weird gas station lady with a mullet, but in her mind, she's in her Camaro. She's still got it. <laughs> so coronavirus right wow it's funny with this because it's sort of in new york or in wherever you are it seems to kind of be playing with people's fears and obviously i it kind of it can it's slowly like chipping away at you know schools are closing um wash your hands, don't leave the house. Um, what a, oof, that's dreadful. I will say as we go forward in this, you know, with this potential pandemic situation, it's, I just, I, maybe at the Trump era, I just have media fatigue. I'll admit it. I, I don't, like when I watch, you know, Al Jazeera or BBC or the New York Times, like those are really not good, reputable um, institutions, right? But the local news, like, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. chicken pox in schools, has it gone too far? And back to you, Jim, with the weather. It's like, no one gives a shit of what you think, man, or your personality. Give us the fucking news and quit this clickbait shit and stop like, like corralling us into rows, like cattle to like march us towards your, uh, your news outlets with your, I don't know. It just doesn't feel 
I don't, in, in America, the local news and commercials, and it just feels a little, and ads, like aggressive ad men and clink here and pop-up windows. It's just like, I'm fatigued. So I admit that this, like some real heavy shit's going down, but like, you know, it's, no one's really talking about the, you know, the, the, the Taliban truce or, um, you know, it seems to be like attacking our fears and like our phobias and stuff. But you know what, man? Like kids in third world countries die of fucking diarrhea and tuberculosis, pneumonia, malaria. In the first world, you know, we're not threatened by it. So we could really give a fuck if you have diarrhea and you're dying. Sorry, man. That's it's really not our problem. But uh-oh, we got a situation. Shit's in Italy now. And it's, whoops, uh, it's in uh, Manhattan now. And, uh... Ooh, California. Okay, let's uh, let's start getting scared. And hey, man, I'm not trying to be a hero here. And I, everyone has their own thresholds. But like, fuck this, man. I, you know, I don't want to live like I'm in a goddamn Dwayne Johnson movie, <laughs> like The Rock. We've got to be <laughs> inoculate everyone. Find the vaccine at once. Quick to the chopper. It's like the fuck, man, with this Trump dude. Oh my God, the world's feeling pretty strange. But as I always say, every time in history has always felt modern for its time. It's every time in history has had absolute chaos. And I think that why I'm, I have, well, I believe that I have media fatigue. I'm basically taking a step back from this, even though it's bad, because for basically to protect my mental health. And I see this kind of eroding um, people's sense of well-being. And when you get that, you get a couple bills in your inbox and you're late on this and it's tax season and the president's a scumbag and Bernie Sanders is... 90 years old but he's actually a decent guy and you miss Obama and there's this fucking orange creep that has like a, a bride that's half his age from God knows where and she never talks like there's a fucking weird world out there man is it not just got some troubling news speaking of modern times I wrote a short story um, for my patrons about um a pretty dreadful situation I had seen. I have a 20-year-old nephew, and this was a few years ago, so he was probably 18 a couple years ago. And he is a video game kid. And not only that, he's also a gun kid. And he loves guns. And I saw him basically order an AK-47 through the mail and assemble it in his living room like he was giving a workshop, like some kind of tutorial to all these like, you know, impressionable young suburb kids in California were watching him assemble this assault rifle. And I was mortified. I couldn't believe it. I talked to my sister about it. I wrote a, a creative writing piece about how much it freaked me out. And it was his, him and his friend Trevor, um, you know, I don't know, depending on what part of the country you're in. For me, I can't stand guns, but they would go out to the desert and like shoot things. And, you know, not animals, but I think shoot targets and blow off steam and vape and like do their shit. And I was very troubled by it. 
and I don't think, you know, for my, me personally, um, outside of all the shit that's going on, schoolyard shootings, all this craziness, like, it's just, uh, you know, just no, no thanks. I don't believe, I don't believe in it. It's not for me. If, if you're a listener and you disagree with me, hey man, sorry, I don't like guns. They scare the shit out of me anyways. So, you know, I was... I actually, it's not, in a way of shaming, I was sort of shaming this kid. I would call him Columbine. Trevor. I was like, hey, hey, Billy, where's Columbine? Billy's my nephew's name. And, uh, and I, I was doing that to kind of try to put into perspective that it's abnormal to wear, like, tactical vests and collect, you know, semi-automatics. It's creepy. I just got the news that um, Trevor was arrested last week. Um, for attempted murder, uh, hostage situation, and he was found on the run with his tactical vest, his Kevlar vest, and weaponry um, running from the police. Um, he was he was stopped by ten police cars and multiple helicopters, and they um, they got him via helicopter, and uh, he had he flipped on his family and went completely nuts and in a culture with little to no health care um, a barrage of all kind of things online pornography wacky president guns drone strikes on people's generals like it's you know mental health it, it's sad that this happened to this kid and um, I wish I could have gotten through to him and I, it wasn't that I didn't try I, I, I stood on my soapbox. I told these kids, like, this isn't something you want to mess with, believe me. And they, they snickered at me. And it was very weird. I'm not a parent, but it made me feel like, wow, this is what it's like to, to have, like, irreverent, shitty teens, like, just kind of clowning you. And you're sitting there shaking your head like, I'm that older guy now. Jesus. So, um, God, God. Uh, that's a tough one with Trevor. I wish, I wish I could change the situation for him. But um, yeah, guns very bad. Um, well, kids, rock and roll. I believe in you. There are more tour dates coming. I'm getting a lot of inquiries now, so I'll be planning out my spring and my uh, early summer. And I look forward to seeing you guys. Thank you for going on my ramble with me. Um, a ramble through the bramble. <laughs> Uh, as always, it's such a pleasure. I really appreciate the relationship. Thank you for giving a shit about what I'm doing. And you've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from New York City.